grateful that you're here today, and I want to invite you to find a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we'll be together studying God's Word this morning. And I want to uh, I want to start this morning by just uh, asking God to to meet us here as we study. And so, if you would, uh, let's pray together again. Father, we are grateful for this privilege to gather together and to study Your Word. This morning, God, I pray again that You will. You'll fill us with your spirit, renew our spirits together as we gather around now your word. We're thankful for your table and the invitation that we receive uh, to come and to be with you, to share bread and wine and to know that that is real food and real drink. And I pray, Father, that, that what we do here will be an extension of that, that meal uh, that conversation that was started there this morning, and that we will uh, hear your word uh, to us together today. I pray, Father, that you will <clears throat> continue to be with this particular church family. We're grateful for the things that you're doing here among us, and we pray, Father, for our future, uh, that you'll give us uh, courage and vision as we move ahead to be the church that you have called us to be, to become the church that we must become in order uh, to proclaim Christ in this city, in this county, in this world. We are grateful, Father, for Christ, for his love for us, and we pray through his name this morning. And the church said, Amen. So last week we started a, a series that we're calling Becoming Church, and we're in this series, thinking together about who we are currently as the body of Christ and who we are becoming as the body of Christ. And to think about becoming the church and that God imagines here at KCOC, we're using the book of 1 Corinthians to do that and to study through this letter. It's a longer letter, and there's a lot of things that are going on. And I, I mentioned last week that when people typically talk about churches in the Bible and when people study uh, whether it be the church in Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus or, or these churches, a lot of times when you think about what's happening in the church in Corinth, a lot of the times Corinth is not held up as the example church. No one is usually saying, let's be like Corinth. There, there's some things you know, we want to be like, maybe want to ideas, principles that we want to take from what the new, these new churches were doing. But you know, as we're studying through this book, you're going to see that there were a lot of challenges in Corinth. They had a lot of issues. Corinth's problems have problems, if you know what I'm talking about. Like everything that could go wrong in a church or be a challenge for a church seems to be the case here. And some of that we co we'll cover in 1 Corinthians. Some of that's continued conversation in the second letter that we have recorded that Paul wrote to this church. And because of those challenges, a lot of times this church is not thought of as kind of the quote-unquote ideal church. But what I want to suggest this morning and through this series and maybe even convince you of over these next few weeks is that maybe Corinth is the church that we should look at. Maybe, maybe there are some things that we could try to imitate. Maybe we should try and imitate some things about this church. Maybe there are things that are going on in this church in Corinth uh, that speak to our own context here in Kaufman County. Maybe 
if, if we have ears to hear and we have eyes to see, maybe Paul's words to the church in Corinth will be words to us today. And so we're going to try to redeem the church in Corinth, if you will, if it needs that. But, and so last week in chapter 1, uh, Paul began his, his letter to this church by talking about unity and how the, the church is always functioning at her best when the body of Christ is one. And that though there may be differences among us that we're functioning better, we're becoming the church that God imagined as we are united in Christ. And so he talks about a lot of things uh, throughout this letter, but I want to mention what we talked about last week and how we talked about unity because I believe that unity will kind of be the backdrop for everything else that we'll talk about over the next several weeks together. It's almost as if unity, everything that he's going to talk about it is kind of rooted in this idea of unity. Paul believes that the church, if the church in Corinth is the church that God imagined, will live into this life that God imagines for them, that it will change the world. This is what he believes. And so I believe that it's important for us at this time to consider as we think about the world that we live in, the places that we live and work and interact, that we also recognize that there is still so much work to do. And so everything moving forward is about helping a church grow, not numerically, but spiritually, to, to gain spiritual maturity, to maintain unity in a culture that is not helping. And in chapter 2 this morning, Paul's going to shift his focus to the topic of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 6, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, if you would follow along with me here. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. And we'll stop there and just say that Paul begins by saying that this message that we speak as Christians, Jesus Christ crucified, that's our primary message, that Christ was crucified. That message is wisdom. It sounds like you're making a statement about a thing that happened, an event that took place. But Paul's saying that it's actually, yes, it's that, but yes, it's also more than that. It's wisdom. It's God's wisdom to those who are mature enough to hear it. But it doesn't seem like wisdom to the rulers of this age, Paul says. Why not? Why does it not seem like wisdom to the rulers of this age? Well, because if you are Caesar and you're king, and you're powerful, and you're in charge, why would you die? Would it seem wise to die if you're on top? If you're gathering a following of people, building a kingdom, would it seem wise to die? No, it would absolutely not seem wise to die. People would say, well, there's so much to still accomplish. Right? This is why the disciples were confused when Jesus would talk about his death and his burial and resurrection, they're so confused because they're thinking about an earthly kingdom and what Jesus is going to do to establish this following that he's now gathered and he's collecting these people. And so for, 
For someone who's actually on top, for someone who's actually in charge, it doesn't seem like wisdom to the rulers of this age. Why would, you let, you know, why would someone let themselves die, let themselves be crucified when they had the power to avoid being crucified? So from a human perspective, Paul says, the cross doesn't seem like wisdom. The cross seems like foolishness for Jesus to die. But from a spiritual perspective, for those who have the eyes to see it and the ears to see it, God was up to something in the cross that no one completely understood at the time. That is why Paul says, if the rulers of this age knew that Christ being crucified was God's wisdom, was, was more than just an event that they thought they were a part of and squashing this rebellious Jew, if they knew that Christ being crucified was actually God's wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, Paul says. So the question that we might ask is, well, why, why would they not have crucified Jesus if they understood that? Think about it this way. If they understood that, what they actually did when they took that step to crucify Christ, think of what they actually did. They thought they were ending the, you know, the, the rebellion of this this Jew who was kind of out of line, who was calling himself God, the Son of God, right? That's what they thought was happening. But what they actually did when they took the step to crucify Jesus was they put into motion the wisdom of God. So that now all these years later, here we are still talking about the, the event that they thought they were, the, the life that they thought they were ending. They thought it was just a one-time event. Now, this is just another Jew who's gotten out of line, and we're going to end it just like we've ended other people before him. But what they were actually doing was putting into motion the wisdom of God. If they understood God's wisdom and what was actually happening at the cross, that Jesus was being crowned the king of the world, that the cross was Jesus' inauguration ceremony to be king of the world, they would never have crucified him because they didn't want him to be king over anyone. That sign they put on the top of his cross was a statement of mockery, right? They were taking a jab at him. Look at you. You think you're a king, but look what we've done to you. Kings don't get treated like that, but they did not have the eyes to see it. So then what the cross reveals, church, actually what it reveals is the character of God, what God is like. That when the world wants influence, when the rulers of this age, to use Paul's language, want influence, they conquer and they rule over people. But what God reveals through the cross is that wisdom from above lays down its life for the people that they love. And that rhymes, and I didn't even mean for it to rhyme. No eye could have seen this coming, Paul says. No ear could have heard it. Or mind even conceived it. In other words, it can be hard to understand. But God is teaching us this, Paul says, by the Spirit. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit, which is where Paul goes next. And so I want to pick up in, verse, in the second part of verse 10 in chapter 2, where he continues to talk about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit searches all things. What is this Holy Spirit? The church in Corinth is wondering. And Paul says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He quotes the prophet Isaiah. But we have the mind of Christ. So I want to get into what Paul says here, and he says a lot. Of things. I have a lot of things to talk about, but the Cowboy game doesn't start till 3 o'clock, right, Judy? 3.30, so we're good. Uh, there's, there's a lot of content to cover in these verses here. And so I want to talk about what Paul says, but, but to talk about what Paul says, I want to start actually with a conversation about the Spirit. And I want to first attempt to answer the question, what is the Spirit? What is the Spirit? And I want to say, my, that beginning my answer to that, question, what is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? I want to begin by saying that the Holy Spirit is a mystery. And I actually think that maybe throughout history that there have been attempts to explain the Holy Spirit that do a disservice to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a mystery, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We sang a minute ago the the Godhead, three in one. How can they be three? and be one. They're one, but they're three. They're three, but they're one. How is this possible? Well, it's a mystery. And I think that it's important for us to remember that it is a mystery before we launch into thinking about it more than that, that there is going to be something mysterious about understanding the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit works and functions within the Trinity. We can attempt to explain it with metaphors, but the the challenge is every metaphor falls short at some point. Eventually it falls short. I've heard it one one example, like using numbers, that I've heard to try to explain this and the answer to this question, who is the Spirit? Is one plus one plus one equals one. And you know, and I, I mean I think I know what's being attempted there, but that seems like bad math, honestly. I don't really know. I don't really know what they're trying, exactly what, they're, what people are trying to say. I've also heard it explained that the Father and the Son and the Spirit uh, are like water and ice and steam. They're all water, but they're all different forms. And I, I like that one maybe a little better, but again, a mystery. It's a mystery that, that is intended to be, I think, experienced. The Holy Spirit is a, is a mystery that is intended to be experienced, not explained completely. So... If you, if you could explain, mean, we know this idea, at least intellectually, but I think sometimes we, we just like to know things, right? But the fact is, if you could explain a mystery, it would not be a mystery. If you could explain a mystery, it wouldn't be a mystery. And so it will always be hard to explain because of the fact that it is a mystery. And yet, I want, I want you to hear me say this, and yet, I believe that the answer to this question, who is the Spirit, is yes, it's a mystery, but, and yet, it is a mystery that can be known, which is also in and of itself a little bit of a mystery. 
The Holy Spirit is a mystery that can be known. Now, the way the New Testament thinks about the Holy Spirit is that there is God the Father, right? Generally associated with God, kind of out there, the transcendent being beyond us, other than us, creator, right? These are kind of the things we think about God the Father. And then, and then the other way that Scripture speaks about, this, about this, this idea is God the Son, generally associated with Jesus, God's revelation to us, uh, that God rev- came to earth, revealed himself to us, and came to earth as one of us. The Word of God, John chapter 1 says, the expression of God, this is what God is like. And then God the Spirit is is kind of thought often in the New Testament is kind of, these are my words, but like God on the ground. He is God with us. He is God in us. So so the Spirit is God, and and that's what I want us to hear. The Spirit is God. That's the first thing that we must understand. That's a a, a truth that has been, uh, the church has believed for thousands of years. The mystery is that there is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they are all God, and yet they are not all the same. Some people think that the Holy Spirit is more, uh, mostly just like the influence of God, you know, uh, and, and not really God. And I want to I eliminate that idea from our minds this morning because the Bible seems to think that the Spirit is God. Just one place that, that, that we see that show up is in Acts chapter 5. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, this is in the story where where the early church is developing and money is being brought and Ananias makes a mistake. And and Peter says to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So apparently, when Peter thinks about God and the Spirit, he thinks that if you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. And so I want us to hear, first of all, that the Spirit is God. It's not less than God. It's God's presence. It is God. The second thing is that I want us to think about this morning in relation to the Spirit is that the Spirit is a person. The, per- the Spirit is not like uh, the Force in the Star Wars movie. Sorry to offend any Star Wars fans out there. But the Spirit is not like the Force in the Star Wars movies. Not some energy in the room. Right? The Spirit is a being. And we see Paul actually talk about the Spirit this way in the verses that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, which I want to read again, that says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within them? So his analogy, his, what he's saying is, that we know what's in our minds, right? You know what's in your mind. And in the same way, the thoughts of God are known by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on. In the same way, no one, notice he didn't say nothing, he says no one. No one knows, so apparently the Holy Spirit knows things, the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit is not just this agent that's acting on its own, uh, but there is a relationship and an, an understanding that takes place between God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Spirit knows things, knows our thoughts, knows God's thoughts. 
So the Spirit is a someone who knows. Other passages that we won't look at this morning, but that you're, many of you may be familiar with or thought about before, other passages that talk about the Spirit, they, talk, they say things like that the Spirit speaks, listens, the Spirit can be grieved, the Spirit guides us, comforts us, intercedes for us. If you just think about all of those, those kinds of ideas, like the force can't do that. And energy can't do that. Those are all personal attributes that describe the Holy Spirit. Think about what Paul is saying about our relationship with the Holy Spirit maybe in this way. I, I, think, I think this picture this is helpful to me, and I, I saw this somewhere else. It's not original with me, but I, I wanted to share it this morning because I think it was a helpful way of thinking about how these things work together and within us. So think about it as if we maybe we're caught up in sort of a dance. Now, it may be hard for some of you Church of Christ people, but we're caught up in a dance, a dance with the triune God. A dance with, the, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, if you think about this image, the Father reaches down to us through the Son who reveals what God is like and grabs us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then through the power of the Spirit brings us back to Himself through the Son to be reconciled to the Father. And so there, there is this continual movement that takes place that we are caught up in. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit brings us back to himself through the Son. We're reconciled to God, right? That this is this relationship. And in doing this, we're in this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, the Trinity, as it is often referred to. The link, maybe another way to think about this picture, the link between God and Christians is the Spirit. There's this relationship and this movement. And I explain all of that in an attempt to say this. You have God living in you. This Spirit, God, searches you and knows you and knows your thoughts, Paul said, which leads Paul to this question, a question that is actually a quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in verse 16. Is there anyone, Paul says, that knows what God is doing? Is there anyone that has known the mind of the Lord? And this, this is hard to comprehend in many ways, but prepare yourself. Paul says, yes, there is. Isaiah's question has been answered. We do. We know the heart of God. We know what God is up to in this great big world. We understand that when we see love happening, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. When we see forgiveness happening around the world in our lives, we, and we identify it, that we see the reality of God at work in the world. Not, we don't see it as some sweet gesture, some good thing, but we see it as the work of God. And we know because we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Just think about what Paul is saying here. just want to walk you through these statements and those arrows for some reason didn't exactly line up the way that I, they did when I made this slide. But follow these thoughts, right? Just like, you're, like, they're, like they're one to the other to the other. No one knows the thoughts of God, Paul says, except the Spirit of God. But we have received the Spirit who is from God. So who has known the mind of Christ? 
us. Paul says, we have known the mind of Christ. You have known the mind of Christ. And this is not the way we typically live, church. We think, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I know that the whole, I, was, you know, I received the Holy Spirit, but because that's, mis- that's a mystery. If you didn't believe me when I said earlier that it's a mystery, and you thought you know, maybe there should be a better explanation that Doug's giving to that, the proof that you believe it's a mystery is that we all have a hard time explaining this mystery, right? And, and often we don't live like God is in us. God is in us. The writer Ben Witherington says it this way, to the believer, all of what God might reveal is available to us through the Spirit. All of what God might reveal to humanity is available to you through the Spirit of God that lives inside you. Because we have the mind of Christ, And the Spirit of God is at work in us. We can know things. We can know deep things, Paul says, about God. Making us spiritually mature. Making spiritual growth possible. Becoming the church will mean that we live with an awareness that we have the mind of Christ. That we live not just with an awareness, but we live with confidence, knowing that we have the mind of Christ. On days that you feel lonely, you have God living in you. On days that you feel hurt, on days that you feel weak, on days that you feel left out and not included, on days that you feel overwhelmed with life, with work, with raising a family, with your health, with your marriage, because you have bills to pay, whatever it may be, you have the Spirit of the living God in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. When you're faced with hard decisions, remember that you have the mind of Christ. How will I spend my time, my money, my energy? How will I ever forgive this person or make make it another day living with this grief? You have the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God living in you. And the Holy Spirit, we must say this morning, the Holy Spirit is never a spirit of accusation. If you're hearing accusation, confusion, doubt, that is the unholy spirit, which we also refer to as Satan, the enemy. God's spirit is a spirit of peace and comfort and love and hope, producing the fruit of the spirit, which Paul writes about to the church in Galatia, that will produce in us things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Paul says, we have received, what we have received is not the Spirit who is from this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. God wants us to understand. God gave us the Spirit so that we could understand what He had freely given to us. He wants us to understand. He wants us to be clear about the life that we've been invited to through the cross of Jesus Christ. So practically, practically God's wisdom from from the Spirit, what does that look like? I want to just talk quickly about a couple of things practically that I think that this means for us. And these are not like groundbreaking things. They're going to be things you all know, you probably would expect me to say in a sermon like this, but I think we need to hear them again this morning. Practically, God's wisdom from the Spirit gets revealed 
as we listen, church. Like it, is, it isn't difficult to understand. We understand it, but in a culture that is not helping us, it can be difficult to practice. Even if you have never practiced listening to the Holy Spirit, one, one just simple thing that I would encourage you with is, and I think Christians do this too often, actually. I think we too often refer to the, 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 the thoughts we have in our head as our conscience. I would just encourage you to move your language from conscience, which sounds like we're not really sure what to do with those thoughts in my head, to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you as you hear those thoughts, sit with them a while. Listen more. Right? I heard someone once say that if, if you're sitting and listening to the Spirit and God is talking a lot, it may not be God. Apparently, you know, and, and I think this has been my experience in the time that I have practiced contemplative prayer and trying to listen to God and know what God wants. Sometimes it just takes sitting longer than we think we should, and we are not good at this. We want to be busy. We want to have our phone in our hands. We want to be watching something on TV. We want to be looking at something on the computer. We want to be, we, we want to be outside doing something, whatever it is, right? And our cult, the culture is not helping us because we are not good at rest. We're not good at being still. And I think sometimes busyness becomes the thing that keeps us from hearing the voice of God in our lives. Listening to anyone, another human being, requires slowing down long enough to hear them and internalize what they are saying. Just this week, this probably happened in your house too, in your life too. Lana and I just this week, on two different occasions, shared things with each other that we were pretty sure we had already said to each other, but that neither one of us remembered saying, right? So, I mean, if this is this, that, 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 what does that communicate? We weren't listening, <laughs> right? We, we weren't listening. And I think it's the same way in our lives with the Spirit of God. Are we listening? Or, or the things that God is trying to say, are we kind of chalking up to, you know, I don't know, bad Mexican food that we ate yesterday or something? Like, I don't know. What, what was that thought? What was that feeling in my, I don't know, right? Well, I don't know how you explain it away, but I think we do explain it away. But you have the Spirit of God at work in you. So the first, the first way I think that God's wisdom gets revealed, and again, what I mean by God's wisdom is that this, the, the cross, right? It doesn't seem like, remember what I said earlier, it doesn't seem like wisdom to the rulers of this age, to people who are not ab- able to see it. The cross is the wisdom of God, which means as we think about the cross, maybe if all you do is sit and listen, maybe you just read some story, maybe you read the the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, and you reflect on those. Maybe you sit and you, you think about the cross and what, what, it, what it meant and the significance of it. What I think Paul is saying is that the more that we focus on the cross, the more that God will reveal to us what it means. Which means that whatever I understand about the cross isn't all that there is to understand about the cross. And I think sometimes we think, well, I already know about the cross. I can explain it to somebody. I can talk about it. You know, it's like, and God, I think he's saying, man, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, which means there are all things and there are deep things. And that the deep things may only be understood as we practice and and have an awareness of the spirit and presence of God. So the first way that God, 
God's wisdom from the Spirit gets revealed is that we listen. I'm happy to talk with anybody about that at a larger, uh, longer time later on, maybe if that's something that you feel the Spirit tugging at your heart and going, I want to hear more about that. I want to know more about that. Let's talk. Other people are the second way that I think God's wisdom from the Spirit gets revealed. You have the Spirit of God living in you as a follower of Jesus. And they, whoever they are in your life as a follower of Jesus, have the Spirit of God. So as we talk about spiritual things, right? As we talk about spiritual things, God may impress things in our spirit, impress things upon us in our spirit that come from someone else. This is why we subject ourselves to, you know, some guy standing up here talking to you for 30 minutes. This is why we listen to, why I listen to podcasts from other people that are preaching, right? This is why we go to classes. This is why, why does that matter? Because we need to subject ourselves to somebody else speaking from the Word of God because they are filled with the Spirit, right? We want our hearts to be impacted, and other people have the Spirit, and we have the Spirit, and as we talk about spiritual things, God may impress things upon our heart from someone else. And the last thing that I want to say just practically about how we go about, you know, hearing God's wisdom, understanding God's wisdom from the Spirit, the last way that I think it gets revealed is time alone, which I've kind of already touched on a little bit. But, and, I, and I probably should have said earlier, I think when we listen, sometimes that could, that could happen in a lot of ways, outdoors and creation, sitting in our living room, you know, back porch, whatever it may be, driving in your car. Like, we can listen to God in a lot of ways. I just think it's a change of the way we think about the things that we're hearing. And we identify those as the work of God in our lives. So the third thing, again, is time alone. And again, I think this is an area where the world is not helping us. We're busy. We're on the go. We're motivated, honestly, church. We're motivated more by our busyness so that we can compare that to others and seem busier than than them. I think some cases, busyness, for me, this is confessional, busyness has replaced my desire for holiness. And this might be an area where we have to fight to resist the pull of our culture. There is something to be said for spending time in the Word of God alone. Like This is another way that God's Spirit reveals Himself to us, that God reveals Himself to us to us is that we sit and we listen to these ancient words that we believe are different than any book that we've read, any story that we could come across, any article online that we might read, any information that we might consume. These words are different. They bring about a different response in us because they are God's word. This morning, my hope is as we've thought about chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians and this this picture of what it means to become the church. I really believe that if we are to become the church that God imagines for us, we must pursue unity that he talked about last week, and we must begin to pursue a a more robust understanding, a greater understanding about what the Spirit of God is and be aware of and confident in acknowledging that we have the Spirit of God that lives in us. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God, and this morning my hope is that we will believe this, that we will trust this, and that we will allow this truth to shape our lives this week and in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are thankful again for your word. 
And we ask this morning, God, that you'll use your word to confront the things in our hearts that are not aligned with you. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us a, a knowledge and an understanding, an experience may be a better word for with your spirit that we might grow in maturity and grow in our, in our own spirit. We're grateful, Father, though it is a mystery and hard to understand that we have you living in us and that we do not face this life and anything that we come across in this life alone. Struggle, joy, pain, death, that none of it for those in Christ is faced without your presence. And for that, Father, we are thankful. We're thankful for the confidence that it gives us, for the hope that it gives us on hard days, for the way that that that, that hope carries us forward on days when we can't see our way forward. And I pray this morning, God, that you'll help us to believe this, to trust this, to live confidently this week, knowing that you live in us. We pray through your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning.